0: You are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt.
1: All right, welcome in everybody to the Bat Flip Podcast. This is episode—is this eleven, Damian?
0: Uh,
1: Twelve. Twelve. Oh my gosh, we've been we've been doing we've been at this for a while now. Um, yeah. I uh, hope everyone had a great week. Uh, we we sure did, and especially Damian with his team winning the World Series. Um, so today uh, we're going to talk about that uh, that World Series, and you know, give a little rundown on the season as a whole and a review. And uh, we're uh, we're excited to get into it. How's how's everything been going this week, Damian?
0: Uh, it's been going pretty fantastic. I mean, if you're asking me, I mean, my team just came fresh off winning a World Series for the first time in 32 years, so. I can finally stop hearing about a uh, 1988 and finally have a World Series in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, I hear you. That's that's all. That's awesome. Congrats to you and uh, all the Dodgers fans out there. They uh they definitely had a great season. So, yeah. uh so yeah, let's let's get into our uh, review of this uh, World Series. And uh, the series was won by the Dodgers uh, four to two um it was i believe that was both of our predictions were that the dodgers would win it in six games so um yes, so was. we're uh, we're a couple smart guys here it seems like
0: but, <laughs> i don't think too many people would be saying that
1: yeah i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> you start to look at some of our other predictions about the series and you might change your mind on that so <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely when we go uh when we hit onto these awards what we pretty much are pretty much sure what they're going to be don't go back and listen to what our awards predictions were from earlier on in the year because uh then you will not be calling us smart at all
1: you might call me smart but i don't know we'll see <laughs> so,
0: well let's go uh let's just jump into this uh this world series it's kind of just pit on uh the games pretty pretty quickly uh kind of story of game one was kind of tyler glass now really struggled with command um kershaw was excellent Um, six innings, you know, had uh, eight strikeouts, one walk, one run. Um, And the really fun fact about that is that Mookie Betts became the first person to ever steal the base, steal the tacos twice. Um, So they do a thing in the World Series where the first person to steal a base, America will get to steal a free taco from Taco Bell on a certain date, which actually happened to be yesterday. But Mookie Betts is the first person to ever do that twice.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, <laughs> I saw on uh, Twitter yesterday, someone that had gone to like eight different Taco Bells yep. and stolen a taco. So that was pretty interesting. But um, but yeah, so Mookie Betts in, in that game it was spectacular. Two for four, uh, hit a home run, also had a walk, two stolen bases. Coming into the series, Mookie Betts was my pick for the series MVP. So I was looking good after game one on that. And, uh, and like Damien said, Tyler Glass now was just not great. He this was a matchup that I was worried about for the for the uh, Rays because Tyler Glass now is a hard thrower whose command can can uh, get away from him a little bit sometimes. And that's what the Dodgers feast known, is hard throwers whose command can get away from them, And you've seen it all year. They've been one of the best fastball-hitting teams in baseball, and they take their walks, and they don't swing at a lot of pitches out of the zone. And that's exactly what Tyler Glass now, the opposite of Gla- Tyler, Tyler Glass now needs to face. And this was a... Uh, bad matchup for the for the Rays and Kershaw I mean you know putting some of those demons to rest about the postseason and had a great game so
0: yeah I mean just just kind of hitting on the glass now struggle in command in four and a third innings he threw 112 pitches for 58 strikes ended up giving up six walks um that is That is a massive number.
1: He had twice as many runs allowed as he had hits allowed, just to put that in perspective. So, I mean, it's, you know, six runs and three hits. I mean, you just can't, you cannot, in a big postseason environment like this, you cannot walk guys that much. I mean, if you walk one or two, especially in a situational, you know, where, where you may have a base open or something, not the end of the world, but you know walking six guys just never gonna work against the team as good as the dodgers so um so the dodgers won game one eight to three had a one nothing series lead so uh, let's talk about game two a little bit with the, the rays evening it up uh at one to one
0: yeah blake snell was pretty fantastic in uh in this game i mean he did get pulled um uh, in the fifth inning after four and two thirds, but he had a no hitter going into that inning uh, gave up a two run home run to chris taylor uh, but he had you know Four walks, nine strikeouts, 88 pitches. Uh, kind of been the story with Snell is that they've really pulled him before he's got too much damage against him or, or too deep into games. Um, you know, Seager also hit a homer in this game uh, to go along with a Taylor one. Uh, the big player of this game really was uh, Brandon Lau. He hit two home runs. Uh, to really give the Rays the boost that the Rays ended up pulling this game off 6-4. to four.
1: Yeah, and Snell with those uh, four and two-thirds innings, that, that's going to become a, a theme later on in this series. We'll see as we uh, continue to talk about it with getting pulled fairly early. But this wasn't super early. He had walked some guys. The last batter he faced was Chris Taylor when he hit that home run. So uh, it, it wasn't this wasn't that surprising and Snell's not, hasn't been a guy that's pitched super deep into games. A lot of that by choice by Kevin cash because Snell, you know, coming off an injury last year where he was, he missed part of the season and just, um, you know, not the best guy going through the lineup a third time right now. So, um, but, but, uh, but yeah. And, and and another thing to talk about was the Gonsolin and may struggling in this game. Um, you know, that, that was a theme for the entire postseason, really the Dodgers rookie pitchers that were, you know, counted on to, to put up a, you know, have a, have a big postseason and, and really put them in that position. Struggled. And also, uh, you mentioned Brandon Lau. Man, Brandon Lau had a horrible, horrible postseason coming into the series and uh, two homers a game, too. I mean, getting him going was really the Rays only chance in the series. And, you know, that really that really helped them.
0: Yeah, they uh, they needed him, especially he was their big guy during the regular season. Um, and then when he really struggled in the postseason, it really hurt them outside of the breakout from Randy Rosarena, who we will uh, will hit on his overall series in a little bit because he played a big, big impact on this series for the Tampa Bay Rays.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Um, but let's go ahead and jump over to game three. Um, this game was pretty much just decided by Walker Bueller, um, who kind of started it off quick and just never let the Rays get into any sort of a groove.
1: Yeah, Walker Buehler was just so good. Six innings pitched, three hits allowed, one run, one walk, 10 strikeouts. Really, with that kind of line, giving up one run is pretty unlucky. I mean, he was outstanding. Um, we saw this as as the postseason went on. He started to get a little bit better and a little bit better, probably related to his blister improving. And in this start, this was his best start of the postseason by far. I mean, he was very, very good.
0: I also found it fascinating that in one of his interviews, um, he really said that, He's, he's a rhythm pitcher so that he really he really struggles at starting and getting started in a year. Um, and that he kind of is like an F1 engine you know or, or a jet engine that you know once it, it really struggles to go on, but once it's going, he's, he's it, it is really really good and uh, he had said that he was just kind of starting to get in that jet engine you know fired up and uh, was really starting to hit his groove right as this playoffs was starting. So,
1: Yeah, for sure. And you see sometimes guys that are like that that struggle early and, and come on later on um, but yeah I mean Walker Bueller was was fantastic um, Mookie Betts had a pretty good game with two for five with two stolen bases he stole four bases through the first three games which is pretty big especially against a, a raised catching core that is pretty good uh, Zunino is a very good defensive catcher so stealing four bases in three games is, is pretty impressive for Betts um, and then um, Charlie Morton uh, you know didn't have his best start of the season in, in game in game three
0: no, he really – he struggled with command, but he didn't walk people. Um, he only went four and a third innings, gave up seven hits, five earned runs, um, six strikeouts with one walk. Um, you know, he was getting into a lot of three-ball counts, uh, and he's also a guy who knows how to – when he's in those three-ball counts to not walk people and do that. So he was putting it in the zone, and the Dodgers were just able to hit it, and that's evident by the seven hits. And he's a guy who never really gets hit around all that often. Uh, and to give up five runs for Charlie Morton, just that, that's very, very unusual. He's a guy who limits damage and, uh, he wasn't able to do that in
1: this game. Yeah. Especially as a postseason pitcher, he, he's he been one of the best. So, um, after game three, uh, the series had been, I mean, it, it had been an entertaining series for sure, but it had been fairly uneventful, kind of what you'd expect. Uh, game four is when things got wild in this series. Uh, yeah. and I mean, game four was just crazy.
0: Yeah, this is, this is probably the second best game I've ever seen of baseball outside of that Game 5 that the Dodgers and Astros had in the World Series uh, in 2017. But this, I mean, it really it started off with the Dodgers getting on the board in the first, you know, taking an extra run into third. Uh, the Rays were able to pull one back in the fourth, and then when the fifth inning just went all heck broke loose. You know, the Dodgers scored one in the fifth, Rays scored one. Uh, Dodgers scored one in the sixth, the Rays scored three. Dodgers score two in the seventh, the Rays score one, Dodgers score one in the eighth, shut out the Rays in the ninth or in the eighth. And you're like, OK, well, here we go. And then in the bottom of the ninth, the Rays score two and walk it off.
1: Yeah, this this was a just an insane game. And uh, the, the big blow that really put the Rays into this game, because it was I think it was four to two when this happened. And, um, you know, a four to two game Dodgers have a good bullpen. You know, the Rays are kind of dead in the water a little bit. and and uh, Brandon Lau, who we talked about coming alive a little bit in Game Two, comes up and hits an opposite field three-run homer to uh, to uh, off of Pedro Baez to put the Rays in you know in front. Of course, the Dodgers, with as good as their bats are, they didn't go away. They came back with a Jock Peterson hit, but um, Kiermeyer hit a home run. And then the ninth inning is where it got crazy, though. The, the Dodgers brought on Kenley Jansen with a seven-to-six lead, and um, it uh, didn't go very well for Kenley Jansen. He, he had a bad luck to hit to start the inning uh, and, and a little bloop hit to to right field that just barely got by Kike uh, Hernandez, who made a crazy diving attempt at it. And then um, they got to two outs and and the Rays magic kind of happened. Uh, Arena had one of the best at bats of the postseason draw in a it was like a 10 pitch walk or something and then Brett Phillips the unlikeliest of heroes as they would say came up and uh you know the guy who had had two was either two or three at bats in the entire postseason before this comes up and hits a uh, you know a line drive through the shift and uh you know the, then all hell broke loose uh Chris Taylor who was playing center field uh booted the ball then Tried to get, get gather it back up. Of course, the tying run was on second, so the tying run scored pretty easily. I believe it was Kiermaier. And then Aroserena uh, came around and tripped all, around coming around third base and fell face-planted, f- face down on the ground. And the relay throw comes in from Muncie, and it just gets by Will Smith. I think Will Smith was trying to quickly catch it and do a swipe tag because he didn't know Aroserena had stumbled. But uh, the ball gets by him, and Rosarena comes home and scores to give the Rays a huge win in game in game five, four
0: yeah that whole play really came down to Cody bellinger not being able to play center field um, he was actually limited to Dh duties in game four because of he woke up with back back tightness the morning of game four and it was supposed to be a really cold night in Texas um, and la was afraid that of bellinger going out there and being stiff and not being able to move enough uh, mm-hmm. while playing the field that when he'd come in it would affect his bat and they might have to pull him So they just decided to DH him to where he could, you know, while the defensive uh, outs were happening, he could go down and maybe be in the cage swinging and just staying warm by doing um, stretching or or whatever. But that really came down because you've seen through the rest of the series, Bellinger was one of the best defensive center fielders that the game has, um, getting fantastic jumps on plays. Uh, And Chris Taylor booted the ball to begin with, and then he made a relay throw to Muncie, which was off the plane from home plate. And what Will Smith, you know, kind of went over, didn't think the ball was going to get cut off, was out of position, and then he was trying to rush back. And Muncy didn't think he was rushing back and, like you said, tried to make a quick swipe tag. Uh, it was just a really bad, bad play from a team that you don't really know that plays – they play very sound defensive Uh-oh. baseball, and that was just a really bad defensive play.
1: Yeah, and it's and part of that, you know, a little bit of Chris Taylor, who has played a lot of center field before, uh, you know – he had, but he hadn't played it a lot lately. Um, you know, he's rushing that play. He's trying to get the ball up. He's trying to quickly throw it in and maybe make it, have a play at the plate or, or have a play to third to end the inning. And, uh, you know, that, that happens all the time. He just, he pulls glove up, comes up too quick on it, you know, to... That's a very common mistake for an outfielder. A Rose arena with, with the mo- one of the most aggressive sins of the postseason, because uh, that play probably shouldn't have scored a run. If it was in any other situation, they probably would have held a Rose Arena at third, but wanting to try to walk it off here was, you know, was part of it. Uh, of course, the you know the relay throw was a little bit off, but I mean I I think Will Smith is just You know, there's not much he can do because he doesn't know that a Rosarena fell down. I mean, he just doesn't know. And he's trying to quickly do it because he knows it's going to be a close play. He's going to hes trying to quickly catch it tag. And I mean, I don't blame any individual player on the Dodgers for that. Uh, Most of that's just game pressure. It's the World Series, man. It's the World Series. And, you know, this is all happening quickly and people guys make mistakes it's not like any of those mistakes were real uncommon mistakes either right
0: yeah, yeah. so that i mean that was the, that was probably one of the funnest games we've seen um and the rays were able to walk it off like we said took the 8-7 victory uh and that really made it that was a what tied it at two it was two, tied it at two, two. At it was way. two
1: two going to game five um, on sunday
0: and game five it was glass now versus kershaw again And it was just another thing of glass now struggling with command. Yeah. You know, in five innings, he threw 102 pitches. He didn't walk as many, only walked three this time, um, but he gave up two home runs and just, you know, out of 102 pitches, he threw 61 strikes.
1: Yeah. You just, with that kind of efficiency and against the team, like the Dodgers, I mean, they're not going to swing and miss outside the zone very often. I mean, you have to locate and, Glass now at this stage in his career has nasty stuff and he's just, he's an elite pitcher against team, some teams, a different type of team, but the way the Dodgers hitters are, he's just, this just a bad matchup for him at this stage. So, yeah. um, you know, Glass now had a really rough series and that was, I, I kind of expected that going in that they were going to have to, Glass now is either going to have to pitch differently from what he usually does, or the, the Rays were going to have to win in spite of him.
0: Yeah, and and another part of this game, which is we'll uh, we'll talk about this being a theme through this World Series outside of Game Four, at least for the Dodgers, is that in this game the Dodgers bullpen had three and a third shutout innings. Um, and yeah, you know, outside of leaving Baez in for Game Four, you know, against Lau coming out for a second inning, the Dodgers bullpen was really really good. Uh, you know, if we jump to Game Six, they had seven and a third scoreless innings um suggesting so those two games it was what 10 and two-thirds scoreless
1: innings yeah it's crazy um, it had and a lot
0: a, that's a lot so dave roberts who's been criticized a lot for his bullpen management and, and not being able to to dis- make the right decisions in in the pressure time he pushed all the right buttons in this series
1: yeah he did a good job and um uh, one other interesting bullpen nugget for game five was that uh and, and I know you mentioned before the show that we were discussing it, that Kenley Jansen didn't get the save opportunity because he pitched. He gave up the the uh, two runs in game four that ended the game. And um, but you said before before our, our talk here that um, that he actually had pitched two days in a row. So they might have been staying away from him just to avoid, you know, overusing him but Blake China got that save opportunity. So I thought that was very interesting that Jansen didn't get that save opportunity because even though there would have been three days in a row in my, my belief is that you're, if he's your best guy and he's your closer, it's the world series. You're you got an off day the next day. I mean, if you're super confident in him, you, you go to him there. I mean, if you, if you think he's your best, best pitcher in your bullpen and your closer. So, um, I was surprised that that happened, but for the Dodgers, that obviously worked out to bring China in because he looked really good.
0: Yeah. Um, and then talking about a, uh, a bullpen decisions, let's let's go ahead and jump to Game Six and uh, Blake Snell. Yeah. Uh, he was absolutely dominant in this game. He Five and a in third innings. So inning, good. Um, two hits, one earned run, and nine strikeouts. But really, that one hit and one earned run. I mean, he had one hit through five innings really. Yeah. Um and that was actually one hit through five in a third. He gave up a, a single to Barnes and then and then they at seventy three pitches in this game, they pulled Blake Snell.
1: Yeah, that was uh very, very bizarre to me because Blake Snell just he was on his game. He looked like it was it was it was a career outing that he was having and seventy three pitches. I I know the, the whole thing about the going through the lineup a third time right now is a big deal and especially against the Dodgers who you know are, are a good team they, they see a lot of pitches from from guys but um, Blake Snell is um I mean you, you cannot pull your best pitcher who Blake Snell is the is the Rays best pitcher you cannot pull him that early in this game. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, if you look at the, look at this game, the Rays only scored one run. So mm-hmm. I highly doubt that Blake Snell would have pitched a complete game shutout in this game. So at the end of the day, it probably didn't matter. I mean, the Dodgers scored three runs after that. Betts hit a homer off the bullpen later on. Um, he had the big, the big game with two, two for four with a homer, two runs scored. But, um, I mean, I think, um, I think if you're, I think, I think if you're the Rays, I mean, it, that pulling Blake Snell was tough. I, I just didn't get that, and, um, especially yeah, and- when, especially when your bullpen has struggled, especially a couple of your higher leverage guys that you were going to point out in a minute. So,
0: yeah, but, I mean, and, and as soon as they pulled him out, the next batter was Mookie, who, you know, they were getting ready to face the top lineup, like you're saying, and between Mookie Seager, Justin Turner and Max Muncie, they were a combined 0 for 8 and 7 strikeouts. Uh, Muncie was the only one who had a ground out, I believe, earlier in the game. So yep. it's not like Blake Snell was getting hit by those guys. I mean, he was dominating them. Uh, and as soon as they bring it out, Mookie hits the double. Um, and then they get a wild pitch that scores Austin Barnes and brings Mookie to third. And then that sets up one of the most insane base running plays that I've not not plays, but just man, I, the jump that Mookie Betts gets and scores on a ground ball to first base against a pulled in infield. I mean, that was, I, I've watched Mookie all year long, and that blew me away. Like, that play is something that you don't see 99% of the league make.
1: Yeah, Mookie's, I mean, he's a great base runner, and he's a great player. So, he's going to do stuff like that that really blows you away. And, um, of course, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, a bullpen for the, for the Rays that struggled, you know, bets coming alive in that game, I mean, it. You know, it, it was a great it it was it was a great series and uh you know great win for the Dodgers there in game six to close it out.
0: Yeah, uh and and just a little fun fact about the Dodgers in this series. So, um uh, they're two out RBIs in this series. They scored a total of 32 runs um, in this these six games. 18 of them were scored with two outs. That is 56 percent of their runs in this World Series were scored with two outs.
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's an impressive number. I mean, you know, two outs is when you, you really have to that really shows that your team, your your hitters are all locking down and really focusing um, and not trying to do too much. So um, that's uh, that was a big stat this year because the Rays, I, I believe, struggled with two outs, runners in scoring position, that kind of thing. So.
0: Yeah, uh, and and like Matt was saying a little bit earlier, just hitting on some of the you know the Rays, like we said coming in, they had a fantastic bullpen, and uh, you, that their pitching was their strength, and that they were going to have to win with that pitching being being very very good. And three of their high leverage relievers really weren't. Um, Nick Anderson, who had been their closer for most of the year, he had a nine ERA in this this World Series, which was it, it, it equivalent out to three innings pitched, five hits, three earned runs. Um their big lefty aaron loop had a seven seventy one e r a which was two and a third innings He gave up two runs um and Pete Fairbanks in four innings he gave up six hits and three earned runs.
1: Those are yeah, three big uh, guys, that,
0: that really, really, really cost the Rays this series.
1: Yeah, you just can't. If your bullpen arms struggle like that, you just that's just not going to work out. And that's one thing that you kind of saw throughout the postseason is that even with, especially in some of the earlier series where the they were having no off days, they of course had off days in this World Series. But um, you know, you throw out guys that it's almost like you're. It's almost like that whole seeing a pitcher a third time thing you throw out bullpen arms and, and this team has seen them you know at, l- at least every player has probably seen them at the point that you're throwing a guy for the fourth or fifth time so I mean you, you get down to the end of it and this was especially true in the Braves Dodgers series but in this one too I mean the they, they they were they were seeing the ball well off of some of these relievers later on and the and relievers of course getting worn down a little bit and the fact that the Dodgers were a bad matchup for this bullpen you know everyone talked all year about how the Rays having a stable of guys that could throw a hundred miles an hour. That was a quote from Kevin cash. And you talk about the fact that the Dodgers hit fastballs extremely well and they don't strike out on pitches out of the zone. So uh, that's a bad matchup when you're throwing all fastballs and you're throwing a lot of pitches out of the zone to try to get chases too. So um, it was a bad matchup at the end of the day for that bullpen from the get go. And um uh, you know, just just a good job by the Dodgers in the series. I mean, they were the best team in baseball, and you just, you had to, you know, they, they buckled down and played through all the pressure and uh, were able to get it done. Yeah.
0: We, uh, we wanted to, before on our last episode, we gave our World Series picks, which we both picked the Dodgers in six, uh, but we also tried to guess who the MVP would be. Uh, and you picked Mookie Betts and I picked Justin Turner. Well, the MVP actually ended up being Corey Seager. Um, He carried it on over from the NLCS and was amazing again in this series, batting 400 with a a 5.56 on base, 700 slug, uh, two two home runs, five RBIs, six walks, and 20 at-bats. I mean, eight hits, seven runs. He just did it all in this series.
1: Yeah, Corey Seager was great. Uh, I had picked Mookie Betts, and he had a good series. Uh, two seventy uh, average, three twenty one or two sixty nine average, three twenty one on base, uh, five seventy seven slugging. He had those four stolen bases in in the first three games, which was uh which was pretty nice. That that really is a, and he had that great base running uh, you know play that you talked about in game six. Uh, a couple homers, hit a home run in game six. Um, Betts had a good series. I mean, he wasn't just out, he, I mean, he was outstanding for sure. I mean, if anytime you have somebody with a 900 OPS and, and everything, that's outstanding. But he wasn't quite, like, you know, MVP, World Series MVP level, but he was really, really good. And um, and then, uh, I mean, Justin Turner, your pick, had a good series too.
0: Yeah, he had two home runs, two RBIs, uh, you know, batted 320 with a 346 on base, had four doubles, um, which has kind of been the story for Justin Turner this year. Yeah. Um, so another another good series for him, but I know there's a, a certain Rays player that you want to hit on and not forget the, uh, the postseason he had, but let alone the World Series he had.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, you cannot talk about this postseason, even though the Dodgers were the team that won, without talking about Randy Arozarena. I mean, this guy, rookie, comes into the postseason, and just I, he hit, what, 10 home runs in the postseason? I mean, <laughs> it's like... Just throw your notes away. Just, I mean, there's no way that this guy wasn't anything less than spectacular. Hit uh, in this series specifically, hit went eight for 22 with three homers. Um, the Dodgers gave him a little bit of the old uh, Barry Bonds treatment, walking him a lot. Renetti Rosarina throughout his minor league career and throughout this season wasn't a guy that walked all that much. But, um, you know, this series a 462 on base percentage. Um, Obviously, he hit the three home runs, uh, big home runs, too. A lot of them were early in games, kind of set the tone. Um, This guy, I mean, he reminds me, and, and I don't know about you, he reminds me of a very young Marcelo Zuna um a is still a guy who can play the field pretty well um and he's got that speed still but all he does is hit the ball and hit the ball hard that that's his you know, main thing His plate discipline's not terrible um it's not like an elite plate discipline but he hits the ball and he hits the ball hard and he does it to all fields it, it's a little bit to me it's a little bit similar to marcelo zuna when he was with the marlins
0: you know who he really reminds me of mm-hmm. he really reminds me of andrew mccutcheon a young andrew mccutcheon without really
1: wow okay
0: um i i don't know if he'll ever get to the mvp level but he just seems a lot like andrew mccutcheon i mean plays the field really well still um like you said hits the ball to all fields He has the speed too i mean it just he looks a lot like prime andrew mccutcheon to
1: me wow that that's a big that's a couple of good comparisons there like you know if Randy Rosarina ends up anything like either one of those guys that's gonna be a fantastic result for a guy that a lot of people were down on the raise for trading for Randy Rosarina because they gave up a, a, a top prospect for him in Matthew Libra so yeah. um, that's um that was surprising and Randy Rosarina up until I think they he might have made a couple prospects top 100 lists uh, overall in mlb but he wasn't like a it's not like he was a top 10 prospect or something so very interesting uh, that he was able to do this in the postseason and i look forward to seeing him play he's a really entertaining player to watch because like i say just hits the ball hard um the a couple other talking points from this series that i wanted to mention the um uh, the rays um you know the rays 216 average as a team i mean you just you're not going to be able to to win this, uh, to win the world series with a two sixteen average as a team. And the fact that it went six games with that being the case was impressive, but I mean, that's just, that's very, very low. Um, I mean, it is what it is. So,
0: yeah. Well, that's pretty much the world series wrap up that we had. Um, we kind of want to just as a little ode to the season, um, go through just some award uh, kind of prediction, kind of, but just what we are kind of feeling and what our, our war, award winners would be like. Um, so for manager of the year, we actually a- agree on both the NL and the EAL, um, going with Don Mattingly, the Miami Marlins manager in the National League, and Kevin Cash, the Tampa Bay Rays manager in the American League.
1: Yeah, in the National League, uh, Don Mattingly was, um, he he had a great, Season managing. I mean, the Marlins making the playoffs this year, um, even though it was, you know, the expanded playoffs and shortened season. The fact that they were even after, if you had told me after 60 games before the actual, you know, before the actual season was supposed to start back in, back in March. If you had told me after 60 games that the Marlins would have been in second place with a winning record, I would have told you, you were crazy. And the fact that they were able to stick their stick that with, with that and get to that level after having so many players out early in the season, because of the the COVID outbreak they had, um, you have to get a lot of credit to Don Mattingly. Um, His team played hard for him. They did a fantastic job this year. Um, They just, the, the young pitching started to come together. Mattingly did a great job managing them, you know, building them up, giving them the making the right moves to build their confidence. Um and this team was very good. So, uh, good good for Don Mattingly.
0: Yeah, and Kevin Cash, I mean a, as much as gripe as he gets for his pitching decisions in the World Series as much as you may say. That that raised team to have the best record in the American League. You know, teams thought it would be the Yankees or the Indians or uh, the Astros maybe. That This this man went out with a payroll that is very, very low and ma- it made that team the best team in the American League. And that is, that is truly amazing. So Kevin Cash, I don't care what they're saying bad about you. You are the American League Manager of the Year.
1: Yeah, and, and if you're Kevin Cash on, on that same note, I mean, he pulled the right button, pushed the right buttons all year. He made one mistake in game six of the World Series that's going to get magnified because it was a mistake. And it might not have even been a mistake. You know, you never know, Snell might have faced the top of the order again and given up five runs. You, you just never know if that was a mistake or not. And I'm sure Kevin Cash is sitting at home kicking himself for it right now for pulling Snell early. But, I mean, he did a great job this year. Like you said, the lowest payroll in baseball and – I mean, I thought he was I – thought, I thought the Rays, you know, just – they they seemed to me like they were always being put in the right positions to to succeed, and they played the game in a way that fit them really well. So uh, good, good job by Kevin Cash and Manager of the Year.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and jump to our Rookie of the Year. Um, and we both agree in the American League with Kyle Lewis, the uh, Seattle Mariners center fielder. Uh, Who do you have for your National League, though?
1: Um, For my National League, I have uh, Jake Cronenworth Um, for – you know, going ahead and talking about uh, our American League guy, Kyle Lewis, um, it was a close race for most of the season between Kyle Lewis and Luis Robert. But Luis Robert really kind of fell off close to the end of the year, went through a, a, a struggle. Um, he's a guy that's going to struggle at times with his high strikeout rate. He's going to go through phases where he's struggling. Now, Luis Robert, at the same time, is going to be a fantastic player in the big leagues. I mean, he's already really, really good. And I mean, there's no, I don't see a way that he's not. But Kyle Lewis had a, uh, you know a 262 average uh 364 on base 437 slugging hit 11 home runs this year uh was able to play an adequate center field um i mean almost two wins above replacement was very good so my uh NL rookie of the year is Jake Cronenworth from San Diego um he had a great season um you know, played 54 games. He's on, honestly kind of a, a throw-in in a, in a deal with the uh, with the Rays. So you know, imagine if the Rays had kept Jake Cronenworth, what what might have been for them. But um, you know, obviously with them having so many middle infielders, it was a, a thing where. Cronenworth was kind of a, a luxury to have but uh, had a great plate discipline numbers for him nine nine walks a nine percent walk rate 16 percent strikeout rate those are very very good numbers uh 285 354 477 slugging percentage he only hit four home runs uh in 192 plate appearances but um you know he still had a 477 slugging percentage so he you know he obviously hit a lot of doubles hit the ball hard um 1.4 wins above replacement. He was very good this year.
0: Yeah, uh, and if I believe you picked him earlier in the I, year, I picked year, him as my
1: season. I, yeah in midseason. I picked him. So yeah, uh,
0: I picked uh, earlier in the season. I picked Dodgers pitcher Dustin May. Um, well, for my Rookie of the Year, I'm gonna pick a Dodgers pitcher, but it is not gonna be Dustin May. It is gonna be Tony Gonsolin. Um, we talked about his struggles in the postseason. But in the regular season, he was fantastic. Um, you know, he started nine or eight games, forty-six and two-thirds innings, strikeout rate of almost nine, ground ball rate of thirty-four percent. You know, two thirty-one ERA with a two twenty-nine FIP. Um, he was, you know, during the regular season, he was looked at as the three behind Kershaw and Bueller. And when Bueller was out, they were relying on him to be the number two guy. Um, and he really stepped up this year and, and did a, had a lot of fantastic games during the regular season. Uh, so he could be a guy that you know gets a look for uh, National League Rookie of the Year. Uh, just another guy we want to shout out to is Devin Williams, uh, Brewers relief pitcher. Relievers hardly ever get votes for Rookie of the Year or Cy Young or anything, but this guy had a fantastic season. I think he gave up one run in 27 innings. Um, had like an insane, almost 18% strikeout for nine. I he just there's nothing more you can say about this guy than he was the best relief pitcher in baseball this year.
1: Yeah, I, you know, look at some of his peripherals, and I, I know that, you know, even uh, at 1.09 xFIP, which is one of the ERA predictors, basically says that he was just by far by far the best reliever in baseball this year and uh that's pretty crazy so uh and uh, you know that's one of the lowest numbers i've ever seen after a guy who pitched 27 innings so uh devin williams is good and, and also you know shout out to ian anderson the braves pitcher um, and, and six sanchez both of those guys came in and solidified rotations that you know and had did really well where you know those are two two teams that really needed it in their rotation and that Braves would not have made the NLCS without Ian Anderson and the Marlins wouldn't have made the playoffs without Sixto Sanchez so while those guys are a little bit behind the others uh when it comes to rookie of the year for for various reasons those are two guys that I wanted to shout out as well yeah well
0: go ahead and jump over to Cy Young
1: yes uh, so I know that I mean the AL Cy Young is just when we both know who it's going to be and who we both picked the same guy, everyone picks the same guy. It's Shane Bieber. I mean, what, what else can you say about him? I mean, the guy was just absolutely incredible this year. Um, you know, 14 strikeouts per nine, 2.4 walks per nine. Um, I mean he, he honestly got a little bit unlucky on his home run balls too. On, on his fly balls, 15% home run per fly ball rates is is a little bit high. Uh, but my gosh, I mean, a 163 ERA, in, he pitched 77 innings, led the uh, led the AL in pitching wins above replacement by a long way. In fact, Zach Greinke was number two in the AL in pitching war, at 2.1, and Shane Bieber Shane Bieber had a 3.2. He was over a full win better than the number two guy in the AL. That's just incre- that's just incredible.
0: Yeah, that is that is pretty amazing for Shane Bieber. So,
1: But uh, our NL, uh, I know we have a little bit of a disagreement on, um, so I'll, I'll let you go first with the NL.
0: Yeah, for the uh, National League Cy Young, I am going to go with Trevor Bauer. Um, I, he had such a fantastic season, 73 innings and uh, in 11 games started, a 12.33 strikeout for 9, uh, 2.1 walks for 9, you know, a 2.15 batting average on balls in play. Um, left 90%, almost 91% of guys that got on base, he left them on base. Um, you know, a, 12, a 12% home run fly ball rate. He had a 173 ERA with a 288 FIP. Uh, I mean, Trevor Bauer, we saw glimpses of this, especially back, I want
1: to say it was 2017? Oh, 20, 2018, I think, when he had the, he had a really good season and kind of like, got banged up at the end of it.
0: It was 2018, yeah. he. I yeah. think he broke his shin, didn't he?
1: He had a weird like, – he had an injury late the season. I don't remember what it was. Yeah.
0: but It was something like three-quarters of the way of the season. He was the hands-down American League Cy Young, and he got injured uh, and and wasn't able to get the amount of starts that he needed. But he at that point, we all thought he would be a Cy Young, and he's shown that again this year that uh, he's just as good as we thought he was after a struggle in last year. But Trevor Bauer, to me, I mean he's going to be a free agent this year, so free agent year really you know jacked his stock up. And uh, it's going to be pretty fascinating to see. We'll, we'll hit on him uh, in future episodes, but for sure, he's a he's my Cy Young pick.
1: Yeah, and you, you can't go wrong with Trevor Bauer. Um, I went ahead and picked Jacob Degrom because I think Jacob Degrom, with you look at some of his his peripheral stats and his uh, you know combining that with his ERA, uh, was incredible. And he doesn't get quite as much attention. Because of playing for the Mets and the Mets, you know, missing the playoffs again. But, um, uh, you know, thirteen stri- to point seven strikeouts per nine as a starter, um, very close to the number that Shane Bieber, the insane number that Shane Bieber put up with the strikeouts per nine. Um, you know, obviously limiting walks. Um, he got a little bit unlucky at times with balls in play. Um, had a uh, two thirty eight ERA, which isn't quite as good as Trevor Bowers, but it's still very good. Um. And, uh, you know, 2.6 wins above replacement. I just, to me, Jacob DeGrom is, I mean, if if I if I, w- if I wanted a guy that went out there tomorrow to put on the mound, it would be Jacob DeGrom. And this is a case where these stats are so close with these three that, I mean, especially in a shortened season you know I, I really liked jacob de the other three of the other third three being you darvish who was incredible this year as well um i really liked what jacob Degrom did for the mets and and you know on a team that wasn't that great being able to put up the numbers he did was you know just very good so uh i, I pick him again i mean he's won two in a row i would have i would have given him a third in a row so
0: alrighty, righty well we'll jump over to our mvp um we have a little bit of a of a, a disagreement in our N, MVP for the AL. Um, the NL, it's it's hands down, it's Freddie Freeman. Uh, we had a little bit of a debate before the show about Freddie Freeman to Mookie Betts, um, that the the conversation should be a lot closer than what the vote is gonna be. Um, but Freeman is is the MVP, he hands down this year. And I'll let you go ahead and talk about him because I know uh, you were able to see what he did day in and day out.
1: Yeah, um, well, you talk about the Freeman versus Betts versus Tatis was still kind of their thing. Tatis didn't have a great September, so he kind of fell down just a little bit. But um, the Freeman versus Betts thing is, I I think, I think Betts was close to Freeman this year, but I think it wasn't, I think it was uh, it's going to be a situation where everyone is going to kind of debate those two a little bit. All the voters and everything are going to debate the two a little bit, but almost all of them are going to decide on Freeman because they, they are close enough to where it's a debate. But Freeman's obviously the, the correct pick out of that the debate. Freddie Freeman – just his plate discipline numbers took yet another step forward, and they were already good. I mean, he only struck out 14% of the time this year, which for a guy who is typically more of an 18 to 19% strikeout rate, a 5% dip is huge. Started walking a lot more. Um, he hit 341 this year with a 462 on base. I mean, he was almost getting on base one out of two times. A 640 slugging percentage. He had a uh, Mike Trout-esque 187 WRC plus. Uh, hit the ball very hard. In fact, I think he was, you know, maybe number maybe number three on the uh, out of all the you know top 30 or so players on uh, average exit velocity. Um, 3.4 wins above replacement. Um, he obviously his defense his defensive uh, metrics because he's a first baseman are going to be just a little bit lower, but as a first baseman, he was elite. Um, he had a 15 UZR per 150, which is in the elite category, uh, one of the defensive metrics. And um, he uh, he was also a, a pretty good base runner for a first baseman. He's a big guy. You know, you wouldn't typically think of Freddie Freeman being a great base runner, but I mean, he was about average as a base runner this year, which was pretty impressive. Um, so I thought Freddie Freeman just had a, a monster year 53 rbis and 60 games too and rbis aren't a stat that's talked about quite as much anymore he played all 60 games and 53 rbis and 60 games i mean that's a pace for you know almost 200 it's just insane
0: yeah he he was very very good this year um and he 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 should absolutely be the nl mvp uh so who do you have in the american league
1: In the american league i have uh jose ramirez um, I think it's a close race between him and maybe even his teammate, Shane Bieber. But, um, I think that, uh, you look at Jose Ramirez's numbers. And I mean, he went off in September and brought his season line to a just crazy number, uh, 17 home runs, which was, I believe second in the, maybe third in the American league. I think it was second in the American league behind Luke Voit. Um, but he hit, uh, you know, his plate discipline numbers are, are very good. Um, He had a 292 average, a 386 on base percentage and a 607 slugging percentage, which comes together to be a 163 WRC plus. This is a guy that got a little bit unlucky too on balls in play. Only had a 294 batting average on balls in play, which is, you know, a little bit below the league average or maybe right at the league average. So for a guy who hits the ball pretty hard and everything, that's uh, a little bit surprising to have that, that be his batting average on balls in play. But um, this is a guy that, you know, in a, in a he does everything he's a good base runner he had 10 stolen bases um and his uh his defense was very good at, at third base so um 3.4 wins above replacement which equaled the the major league high and with freddie freeman uh jose ramirez indians wouldn't have been there without him um he's a great player and he deserves mvp this year
0: you got the right team but you have yeah. the wrong player uh i'm gonna go with shane bieber it's not often that we see player pitchers get MVP discussions. Uh, you know, what was it Verlander in 2011? believe so. Uh, Kershaw. Kershaw in 2014. Yeah. Uh, and, and Shane Beaver just had that year. Um, you know, you, we talked about him earlier for the Cy Young, but 77 innings, 14% strikeout rate. I mean, like you said, you, you hit on every stat we could earlier. I mean, 163 ER rate. This man was so underrated this year. Uh, He's going to get a bad rap for what happened in the postseason, but luckily that these awards are voted for before the postseason starts. So there's no recency bias about what happens, you know, based on the entire season. But Shane Bieber, I mean, he absolutely was the best player in the American League this year. Uh, You know, anybody, any show you listen to, anything you watch baseball-wise was always talking about how Shane Bieber, Shane Bieber, Shane Bieber, and he was the best player, you know, playing, and every time he started, you had to tune in, and I, I just think that in a year that is so weird and that, you know, the offensive numbers, it's close to what Shane Bieber did. The historic numbers of what he put up on the pitching side should absolutely get him a nod for MVP.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, Shane Bieber was spectacular. Um, you know, a couple other kind of honorable mention guys. Uh, Anthony Rendon did really well in his first year with the uh, with the Angels. Uh, had a had a good season. 156 WRC plus had a 286 average, uh, had a 418 on base percentage, uh, drew a lot of walks. Uh, Jose Abreu had a great year for the White Sox. Uh, he uh, he hit 19 home runs, which which was second in the American League. I knew I was forgetting somebody. Um, so he he had a he had a fantastic season. He hit 317 this year. Um, so uh, that was a very good uh very good year for him. So those are guys who will probably get some votes come you know awards time. So.
0: Well, that pretty much wraps up all of our awards predictions. Um, and we've already done our World Series one. So yeah. Well, at the end of this episode, we kind of just wanted to give each other you know a minute or two just to kind of give us what your thoughts were on this weird and kind of awkward season that was the 2020 MLB season (laughs) um and even what the playoffs were so I'll go ahead and let Matt start
1: yeah um I tweeted from our account the other day um the, the Batflip podcast at the Batflip podcast on Twitter. And I said uh, just a shout out to major league baseball and the major league baseball players association for being able to put this together. There was a lot of doubt for a long time that we were even going to have a season this year, which, um, you know, it, it would have been, it would have been bad. I mean, it, it would have sucked to not have a baseball season at all. But uh, they were able to come to an agreement and uh, figure out the protocols. And while there was some bumpiness with the COVID situations and the Marlins and the the Cardinals situation, and, um, you know, there were some weird moments with when it came to that, uh, we had a successful season. I mean, we we got to crown a champion and uh, congrats to the Dodgers. Congrats to all, you know, Damian, to you and all your Dodgers, fellow Dodgers fans. Um, We had some great, a great postseason moments. Uh, You know, you had the. You know, big walk-offs, and you had uh, you know teams that weren't supposed to be there this year that got there and were able to win series, and um, it was it was fun. Um, I think um, you look at the play around the league; it was about as good as you could have expected for a season where you had such a weird spring training and a weird like uh, (laughs) a weird lead-up, and uh, you you didn't know. I mean, you had some guys who didn't know if they're going to be playing. You had some guys who had a really hard time being able to keep up with all their workouts and their off season training after after spring training at home and all the quarantines and lockdowns and everything, it was very difficult. But we got to see uh, the best team won in the Dodgers. They were predict- predicted to be the best team coming in. They were the best team all year. They had the best record and they won the World Series. You got to see uh, some you know uh, the the good teams come to the come up at the end. Uh, you got to see some cool moments, breakouts from the Padres, the White Sox. Both had you know, breakout years, the rays making the world series with the lowest payroll in baseball, their first appearance since 2008. Um, you know, you had the, um, some of the, some of the moments that you think back on for this year with the, with the Astros and, you know, the fallout from their uh, st- sign stealing scandal where you had the fights and Joe Kelly and uh, the uh, Randy, and the uh, Ramon Laureano uh, altercation with their hitting coach and all this stuff uh, was, was interesting. Um and it was, a, it was a weird season for sure, but I'm so glad we, we had it. And, uh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to, uh, that, to, to just watch some baseball and have, you know, for a few months, baseball was able to take our minds off of, you know, all the crazy things going on in the world with the election and the pandemic and, you know, all the craziness and, uh, you know, and it, it helped, you know, the two of us, obviously, uh, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do this, start this podcast and do the show, which I know that we both really have enjoyed so far um, doing this. And we, we weren't, we wouldn't have been able to do this without baseball this year. So um, I'm just, uh, just glad we had a season in in general and, you know, had some really fun moments. So.
0: Yeah. 2020 uh, is definitely a year for baseball perspective that I will never forget for the obvious reason that the Dodgers were able to win the world series. But like you said, it was just very, very awkward. It was a season that was so unpredictable. It was – you just never knew what twist and turn was going to come um, with all these COVID situations and and the amount of just injuries not outside of COVID that happened in the American League – or not the American League, in the MLB this year. Um, you know, it's – this season, man, it is going to be a tale of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, I'm – I really miss that there's no fans in the stands. The, the the roar of the crowd that every time a ball goes up that's just a regular fly out to center field that people thought was hit 500 feet. Um, the booing of the opposing team. You get the cheers for your guys. You get enchanted MVP. And just all the, all the parts that come with the 50,000 fans or 40,000 fans or how many other fans that your team gets packed into a stadium. It, that's that's something that, about this season that I will never forget, and that I always took for granted in baseball, was that uh you know the fans do play a part in this game, uh as much as you don't think that they do, the the energy swings that come from having fans and the the players having to hype themselves up this year, uh it was just it was really awkward, um, you know shout out to all the how the broadcast teams made, you know the the fan noises from the MLB video game or how they put fake Uh, Fox put fake uh, people in the stands like it was a video game as well it was it's it's a weird year that you will never forget for reasons like that um and and the way the MLB was able to put this together and and bring us baseball and, and give us part of this healing process for this for the the nation to have something sense of normalcy um and We'll get into it a little bit later, and I know people have different perspectives of it, but it came out today that, or, or yesterday that the league lost over $3 billion this year putting this season together. Um, and that might not seem like a lot when you think about millionaire owners and billionaire owners and stuff, but that is a massive, massive number that is going to have an effect on baseball for many years to come. Um, and for for that price to be paid to give us this sense of normalcy with baseball this year, I I don't think it's something that needs, that should go unnoticed. Um, So I, I thank everybody for, for allowing this 2020 season to happen and for, you know, all the protocols and everything that was put in place to allow this to happen. But let's not, let's not forget the amount of people that put their time and hard earned money into this thing that, you know, are really suffering some, humongous losses this year
1: yeah for sure um so um it, it's been it was an interesting season and um you know i hope we never have to do it again <laughs> i mean that's kind of the way to put it at the end of the day you know we we had a we, we ended up having a season we hope uh, you know we hope next year uh we we get the uh we get to come out and have a uh, you know full crowds and you know it's possible that we don't have full crowds from day one, but uh, this season, like you say, this is gonna have a long term lasting effect I believe for or maybe not long term but for the next few years, um, and and we're starting to see that already with free agency which uh, is a good segue into um, you know the end of our show because next show will be on Sunday and we will be talking free agency and this off season coming up which is uh going to be a very interesting off season but for a lot of different reasons. I mean there's going to be a uh you know a lot of surprises I believe this off season. Uh we've already had some surprises which we'll uh we'll hold off on for now but we'll we're going to we're going to get into that pretty big on Sunday.
0: Yeah, just a just a little bit of a teaser uh for you guys to make sure you guys tune in but you know, the, thank you guys for for whatever you you've given us so far. Um, these 12 episodes, the amount of support we've had has gone way above anything that we could have ever expected. Um, you know, there's there's times where I look at the listens or the subscribers and think like, man, there's people who are, have way more than 12 episodes, maybe up into the hundreds of episodes and don't have this support that we are able to get. And I do not take that for granted for one bit. Um, I, I I can speak for myself and I believe Matt wants to do this as well. We want to find a way to get you guys more involved in the show, um, whether that be, you know, surveys or question and answers during the off season, or, or finding some way to do free agency predictions with you guys, where you can just put a team in and, you know, for a certain player, uh, we want we want to find some way to get you guys more involved because that's just going to make this even, even funner and allow you guys to feel that you have, you know, you have a stake in this. Uh, we don't want to be a normal show that doesn't listen or doesn't want to bring the fans in. You know, we want you guys to be just as big a part of this as we do. Um, so thank you guys for the support so far and make sure just to follow us, follow us on everything and, and just help grow this thing. Cause you know, we're having a blast doing this and this off season, it, it's going to be weird, but we're going to put our time and effort into helping this show be even better and grow.
1: Yes. We, we will be here all off season uh, every week. Um, you know, we'll have some different topics um we're hoping to get some guests coming up here soon and uh so keep your uh you know keep your eyes open for that and keep following us and uh we'll we'll you know let you know when that time comes we, we, any time we get a confirmation on something we'll, we'll give you a heads up and uh we're um you know we're excited we're gonna keep keep, keep doing this this off season we're gonna do every week and uh we've got you know some ideas for, for different things. And, you know, we're not just going to talk about what's going on during, during this off because sometimes it will be slow during the off season, but we've got all kinds of stuff we can talk about on the show. And, uh, just about some, you know, just about baseball in general. And, um, cause we love the game and we love the way, the game, the way it is. And, uh, we think that it's going to be a, uh, we, we can't wait to keep it going here. So we're, uh, with that being said, we will, uh, we will see y'all on Sunday. Um, uh, for our free agency preview. And, um, this has been the, uh, Bat Flip Podcast. I hope everyone has a great week. Yep. See you guys.